and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Yeah, hold on. There. Okay, so which one did you want to do? Um, let's go ahead and just do the regular article one. Okay. Hold on. Can you hear that feedback on my mic, or is that just me? Yeah. It? No, yeah. I can definitely hear it. Well, okay. How about that? Can you hear it? Sounds good. Yeah, okay. it sounds nice. Okay. I think you had like a loose cord or something. It was. It's being weird. All right, let me pull up the articles in. I I read them, sort of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to do the song one, though, but can we do that when I get back from swimming? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Okay. Sorry. I was just like, I guess I, I told him yesterday that we would, and then I totally forgot about it. Yeah, that makes and sense. And he was like, let's go. And I'm like, fuck, hold on. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And then right when he was like, let's go swimming, you're like, I can do it now. I was like, shit. <laughs> Yeah, so, and it closes, like, the swimming pool closes pretty early. It closes, like, 5.30, so I have to, which I think is going to change pretty soon. I feel like that's going to change, because, like, it's already yeah. hot outside. It's, like, 91 degrees, but oh, they've whoa. been they've been closing at, like, I know, it's really hot. They've been closing kind of early, like, during the winter time, they close kind of early, and then during the spring and the summer, they don't, and I think it's gotten to a point where it's pretty steady, like, in the 80s or 90s, so I yeah. think they're going to start opening later, because they usually, like, if, like during the summer, it's it's open until, like, 11. Yeah. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's just the apartment one, like, the apartment swimming pool. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. All right, let's do this then. So, one second. Dead things with Jen and Sarah. Hey, yeah. yay, yay! <laughs> How are you, Jen? I, feel, I feel like we're on like a bi-weekly now. Like we release oh. one every two weeks, something like that. Yeah, I think you know we we put them out as we are inspired. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I'm actually really okay matters. with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you know I like talking to you and mm-hmm. um, every couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the kind of personality I have. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it mostly has to do with my schedule because I'm being a, a doctor prick. Yeah, that. Yeah, um, just trying to get everything. Like, God, it's uh, there's a lot to do. Did you know that there's a lot to do when you're a professor? <sighs> well, knowing how much there is to do when you're not a professor, I can only imagine. <laughs> it's really hard too because it's one of those jobs where like you can't complain about it, or people just <laughs> like fuck you. <laughs> you know. I can't complain. Who am I going to complain to? I can complain to other professors, but then you can't show a sign of weakness either. So I think like... do it directly to your students as they walk in the door. Yeah. Just be like, oh. My life is hell. There's so <laughs> much to do. And now you're here. Great. Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> You can't yep. go, you can't complain to students. You can't. I mean, you can kind of complain to peers, but they're in the same boat. So it's like, well, you know, like they're they don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Yeah. Know. 
And then you can't complain to other people because you don't quite get it. And then you can't, like, complain to people who are, like, job searching because, you know what I mean? It's like all this. It's really, it's hard. What a hard life I have, Sarah. Oh, brother. Oh, man. Well, I um, hurt myself, I think, like, a couple weeks ago. I don't know. What did you do? Well, for sample lady ink, which is my day job, mm-hmm. I um, had juice. I was doing juice at a bunch of the different like grocery stores around here, and so the bag I was taking with me, I was like holding can I, it wrong. Can I just pause for a second? <laughs> yeah, this is so like quintessentially a Sarah Kennedy story, right? Now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sample lady ink juice. <laughs> yeah. So there was this I... juice that I was carrying, yeah. and, then, and then like two minutes later, so then I was in the hospital. Well, I know. I didn't go to the hospital because I don't have health insurance anymore. Yeah. But I, uh, <laughs> I did Sorry carry this heavy bag incorrectly. And so it's like messed up my back to the point where like, I can oh. feel it in my chest. And Yeesh. so it just makes my anxiety go off the charts. Because Is there I'm anywhere like, well, for you to hang upside down? Uh, you know, uh, other than just my coffin that I keep uh, <laughs> in the belfry. Uh, not really. There's not really a lot of options. Like for off that. your bed? Can you? I, do you? You don't have a? Do you, right? I have a loft bed. So yeah, that's I can... what I mean. Yeah, it's like you have a loft bed. So can I mean not totally, but just like, like put. Okay, so like put a um a pillow under your butt, right? Okay. Um, have have Kelly sit on your legs so you don't totally fall. Cool. And then Good. just hang off the side, like just your like just your back part, like so like the upper like right up up like the lower your back, right? Right above your butt, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. part should be like where you hinge. So like lay down yeah. like that and then throw your, throw your arms back and just let it all stretch out. Yeah. I think, I think I need to do, I mean, it's yeah. better than not sleeping at night. Cause I think I have cancer. So right, you don't have cancer. Okay, it's just, it's good. just a bad back. But if you do that, I swear, that's why I have that. Remember I had that like upside down table thing. Yeah. Cause oh, my yeah. back's all fucked up. Cause I have that weird thing that like degenerative disease thing that I always forget the name sure. of scoliosis. Sure. Well, it's like, it's uh, so common. It sounds like really scary. Like I have scoliosis. That sounds really, really terrifying, but it's really super common. Like most people have a form of scoliosis. They just not as advanced. You know what I mean? Scoliosis, of course, meaning bad breath. Bad no. breath. Like- no, it just means like your spine is a little, is a little turned. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just affects like your, I mean, like, like there's really severe, terrible versions of scoliosis that are like really bad, you know, like yeah. hunchbacks and like, you know, super bent over and stuff. They can't even do anything. Yeah. Um, but I don't have that. I just have like the, and, it, and it, it, it could get progressively worse maybe as I age. I might be like one of those like, you know, four foot old ladies that are like, <laughs> that, uh, that might be me in like 40 years. I don't know. You're so tall. It would take, <laughs> I mean, your, your spine would have to loop around itself. <laughs> to make you four feet tall yeah yeah actually that's real that's now that's true so even at my even at my shortest and i'm still gonna be like taller than most women. yeah Yeah, so So, it's really common and especially common in women because of like um calcium and all kinds of stuff right so it's not that bad i don't even really talk about it but anyway so it's like just a little like a tiny little curvature in my spine that's why i had my knee thing remember because i have like knock uh knees like my knees kind of turn in and then I have that weird like thinking in my back. And then because of that, like you I, fell down a mountain. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you and know, this is, and this is a Genevieve genes. story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this would be a Genevieve story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because of that. So, but also because I was just like hit a rock, like it wasn't just my, my weird spine, but, 
Um, but I have that table because I, because when I was, I don't know, I can't remember, like early twenties, my my doctor was like, um, you know, yeah, just stretch out and your back I mentioned a lot. My cool tables. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I would go to his office every day and I would hang upside down. It was really weird. I'm pretty sure he was a doctor. <laughs> Um, no, but I, uh, yeah, so there, there's a thing called an inversion table, and you can, like, you like, strap, if you've seen it at my house before, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's how like, I learned how to do multiplication. There you <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't learn how to do that until, like, a couple years ago. It was right, great. <laughs> and then you were at my house, and I was hanging upside down. I don't know. Um, I can do math when I'm upside down. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow! People only get that if they know that I have that weird I, math thing. <laughs> number dyslexia. Yeah. So I have to be down. Anyways. So, um, uh, yeah. So if I strap my feet in and I hang upside down like 20 minutes a day, it totally stretches my back out. And then I yeah. can like, you know, it's, you know, it's better. So it gets rid of, cause all it does, it just means that I hunch weird during the day. Like I have a tendency to hunch to one side because it's like the natural way that like my body would go, you know? So I have to kind of like fight against that. And uh, stand up straight, you know? Yeah, kind of yeah. So, yeah. But, like, working on your abs helps. So that could that could be something that you work on, too. That always helps back pain. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then hang it upside down. That's the easier cool. way to do, though. Just hang upside down. <laughs> yeah. Forget about the ab work and just hang upside yeah. down every day. <laughs> I need a six-pack yeah. when I can have all the blood rush to my head. That's... Yeah, exactly, which is, like, more fun anyways. But, um, yeah, so you should try that. I swear to God, it'll work. But have, like, if you feel like you're going to fall off, though, honestly, just have Kelly sit on your legs and you're fine. Like, cool. you won't fall off, yeah. But yeah. It'll, 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 like, immediate improvement, I promise. That's so nice because, seriously, I have been so panic-stricken these past couple – like, I, I can't close my eyes to go to bed at night because I get this rush of a feeling that I won't wake up. Because <laughs> you I don't have know. this back problem? Cause I no yeah well part of it I mean that I just think that like so the pain triggered my anxiety which has triggered this panic and then now the panic is just from like all sorts of things all over the place. Yeah, I get that. I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a weird like domino effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that happens with my anxiety too. Like I'll have one thing and then it'll just keep going and going and going and going and going until I'm in this like weird like vortex of anxieties just whirling around me and i can't sleep (laughs) yeah yeah that sounds terrible yeah it is terrible so it went from bad back pain to um you feel like you're not gonna wake up in the morning yeah yeah Yeah. that makes sense to me i don't know doesn't make sense to most people i mean i think i sound pretty normal i feel like that's a legitimate fear Sorry, it's not. It's really not a legitimate fear. Yeah. You're gonna wake up in the morning, I promise. It's just a backpack. Yeah. Gotta, <laughs> how do you do, how do you well. work through that like existential fear when you're when when it happens though? Like when you when something triggers it and you and it leads you all the way to I have cancer, I'm not gonna wake up. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, my mom has always said that I had this tendency to live in Peter Pan land. Yeah. And so I can just kind of put things off for a while. And so like usually uh, and then, you know, honestly, there's this, like, ego death that really helps me out, too, where I just go, like, you're not important, nothing important, nothing this catastrophic is going to happen to you. <laughs> like, yeah. and so I think about that a lot. And then I also, I mean, so that, I mean, it's a kind of weird combination of those kind of things where it's like, number one, I'm just going to distract myself until I feel better. Number two, listen, odds are good that you're not this special. And then the third one is just kind of, like, looking, I will, like, come, I will, like, 
compulsively look things up on the internet mm-hmm. for it to tell me that it's anxiety. So yeah. like I'll put in all my symptoms and normally, you know, like I've figured out a way to like escape all the ones that tell me it's cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Cause those, I mean, those are rampant on the internet and I know already, I mean, I already think that it is. So I just want to find maybe something else that it is. And almost every single time it's like, you're anxious, you're stressed, yeah. you're getting nuts in your back because you're stressed out. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. okay. You know, another, another thing that you could do and it's really hard though. Mm-hmm. super hard but i got oh, this boy. through like well because i am because i have ocd right so yeah i like through like cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy oh and i've been talking to you about that it's actually working really well oh like, cool the stuff that i've been doing and i can talk about it in a second too but one of the major things is like to to not do that to not look up your symptoms right mm-hmm. and instead mm-hmm. to imagine yourself actually having cancer okay? oh sure and then letting yourself feel that fear and thinking like okay so if i did What's the worst mm-hmm. thing that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Letting yourself feel that fear and then reacting to it and then trying to let it go. Yeah. Because I mean, you have to like, because trying to stave off the feeling of fear is what gives you anxiety. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So like allowing yourself to be afraid for like yeah. 20 minutes or whatever and just living mm-hmm. in the fear for a second is actually more helpful because you're. it's like... um. It's, oh God, what's it called? It is, oh, why can't I think of the name of it? It's like when it, it's, it's not immersion therapy, but it's like when you, when you like deal, when you're like, um, you're exposed to the worst fear that you possibly, like if you're really afraid of spiders and you have this really weird, like fear of spiders, whatever, then mm-hmm. you, you become like exposed, like they, they put spiders around you and then you like kind of let go of the fear, right? It's yeah. much, it's much more difficult when it's like an abstract thought, like cancer, like a, mm-hmm. a spider thing. You can like touch a spider and then they don't bite you. And then you're like, oh, wow, I ha- I can get rid of this like weird fear of spiders that I have. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. when it comes to cancer, it's like you have to have to do that work like abstractly. Like they can't just like give you cancer and then, <laughs> yeah, and then you survive it and then you're okay. You know, it's not, it's not yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So you have to kind of do that, but you have to allow yourself to feel the fear because it's the, it's the, the um, patterns that you do and the rituals that you do to work yourself out of the fear that are going to continually happen and cause more anxiety. So like every time you look up symptoms that you have and you, res- and the result is anxiety, then you, like, it's going to make you do that again because you got a, a benefit from knowing that like you felt better for a second, knowing that it was just anxiety. Does that make sense? And then it becomes a ritual and an obsession and you keep doing that to feel better. And that's the only way that you can feel better is by looking at your symptoms and and saying that it's anxiety. When what you can do is you can just allow yourself to feel like it's cancer for a second and then get that fear out, like let yourself feel that fear and then like work yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard. It's really hard. Hey, yeah, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's super helpful. It, so. Yeah, I mean, like, after a while, you, you try to get you, I, I mean, I'm not good at it. It's just something I've been trying lately, you know. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't mm-hmm. totally mastered it yet, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but what I have been doing, and it's working really well with my anxiety, because I am, as you probably know, Sarah, I am a workaholic. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and it has, uh, it has affected relationships in the past, um, so what I've been trying to do is like figure out how to, how to like maintain, I, I mean, it's kind of, it kind of sounds like a cop out, but like, I know that I have a certain amount of work that I have to do. Right. 
and yeah. I have and I have goals that I have to achieve. But what my brain does is it takes it to like the extreme, and it, it, it become way too focused and narrow, and I can't have like anything else in my life but like maybe one more thing, which is yeah, which is usually my son, right? August, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. yeah. so, so I so <laughs> yeah, so I like okay. focus on I focus on like work in August and that's it right Mm -hmm. so um this this uh like this cognitive behavioral therapy though is like so one thing that I could change like one behavior that I could change is like stop checking my email right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and stop allow like stop making myself um fit this pattern where I have to reply to email right away or I'm afraid that like I'll you know I won't be as productive like it's one I know it sounds like really tiny but for me like not checking my email is like a very huge thing like that oh totally like yeah. that's like the end of the world for me like not checking my work email like that's like you know that causes the most anxiety that I can imagine right um missing a deadline would be like second to that but like Ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so like doing that like that's a really that's like a really big thing for me so uh, once a week, I um, take email off my phone and for the whole day um, until sunset. So from sunrise to sunset, I can't check email. And then at sunset, I can. And actually, I've been doing even better than that. I've been like waiting until August goes to sleep. Ooh. So I know for the first few weeks, it was really hard. Um, oh, I believe it. Yeah, it was super hard. And I would have these like panic attacks during the day and I'd have to like sit down and have like, you know, like convince myself that you know it wasn't a heart attack that I was fine that I was feeling fear from the email that my you know my job like if I did lose my job what could I do like all those tactics I just told you about like the worst thing that could possibly happen is I could lose my job right yeah and if I lost my job what would happen like that's like I have to I had to like work through all of that um which doesn't make any sense that I would lose my job for not emailing back within like a minute like it doesn't doesn't make any sense I know it's like I know it's stupid but um yeah, so I've been doing it since, oh, God, like, January. I've been doing it since January. Um, and, yeah, it's been, like, oh, my God, yeah, it's been 90 days. I've been doing it for, oh, like, 90 days. Yeah. That's great. Um, just once a week. So I haven't mastered, like, more than that yet. But once a week. So every Friday I take off email on my phone and I don't check it from sunrise to sunset. That's great. I know. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. (laughs) I've been able to like free up some brain space where I'm not thinking about work all the time and I'm actually like doing things, you know? Yeah. Like I went to like, like uh, I've been going to a movie every Friday and like hanging out like and doing like, you know, a coffee date or whatever with like a friend or, Uh, you know, stuff like that. Like I'm doing doing stuff like that. So it was good. That's awesome. That's really great. And it's not like I never hung out during the day, but I would always be like, or like hung out with people like I was, wasn't like isolating myself, but I would always be somewhat divided. Like I would always yeah. like my you've been around me when I've been like that, like super, super stressed out and super busy. And I'm like half paying attention to people. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm definitely like not in it. Like I could be around like a ton of people and I'm not thinking about anything else but work. Sure. I'm not thinking about like having, you know, having fun. And then what I would do is like, because I have all this anxiety, I would like drink or I would do, you know, I would do something else. Or if I was in like in a relationship, I'd be like, I can't, I can't like deal with it because all I'm thinking about. So I like push people away. Like, so it was a lot. So it was a lot, but yeah, well, that's great. This Working is a great step, it, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a good step. One day a week. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's a real good. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll get, you know, up to like two days a week. What? Oh, my God. Like a whole week. Like give yourself a real weekend. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like a whole weekend. Holy moly. I know. Can you imagine? I don't know if I could do that. I honestly don't know if I could do that. A whole weekend without checking your email? No way. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've got, well, but it's also like, 
Well, because comedy and academia work very similarly, where it's just like mm-hmm. nothing will happen at all for a long time. And then all of a sudden you get this like super important email that gives you this incredible opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's... if you don't reply to that email right away, you could somebody lose else that... will get it. Yeah. You yeah. can lose that opportunity. Right. So it like creates this scenario where you're constantly on call. Like you never feel like you don't have. You ever feel like you have a moment where, you know, you're not trying to to do something with your job, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and not, and not that that's like a conscious thing. Like you're not necessarily consciously always on call, but there's always this part of you that feels like you're like something big could happen any minute and you should mm-hmm. be prepared for it if it does happen. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And things do happen like that. Like I got an email recently that like it was, you know, hey, can you Skype on this day? I think I'm I'm going to do this thing for you. And I, get, I don't want to talk about it, but like, you know, can you do this thing? And I like replied right away and was like, yes, I can Skype yes. that day. And then I got mm-hmm. and then I got and then I Skyped and it went really well. And it's like so like things do kind of happen that way. And that's why you get into these patterns where you like you can't get away. And then when you do, you have this terrible like anxiety cycle that you know ends up being i'm not gonna wake up in the morning because i'm you know <laughs> yep yep and then then think about how many emails you'd miss out on i know and then think about yeah look at the, think about all those opportunities you could have had and now look at you dead and now you're dead <laughs> and i'm sure there's other jobs like this i'm not you know i'm not saying that it's only it's only you know like academia and comedy but it's just like yeah it's just it's just i don't know what do you think this is a symptom of, though? Do you think it's just our 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 lives now? Like, does this just is how people live now? We're just. Constantly... I mean, I think I think it is kind of a weird, like, generational thing because everybody's connected at all times to everything, you know. So when it's not like business hours are a real thing anymore, you know. So it's not like, ah, oh, I think I think I I'll save these opportunities for people until I'm right in front of them or something. Like, you know what I mean? Now it's yeah. like, oh. I better do this while it's still in my mind. And if it's a Saturday at three in the afternoon, then it is. And then if they get, if they send it out to 10 people and one person writes back because they just happen to be available, then that person gets it. And so then at that point, it's like, well, we should all be connected at all times because what if? And like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happens. Like, like I, I was able, like I, like just recently on Facebook, I saw somebody post about a conference thing, right? Like a panel or whatever that they wanted to put together. And she's like a really cool person in my field and I super want to like work with her. And I like, you know, messaged her right away. I was like, hey, I'm doing this work too. Can we like, I I would love to be on your panel and blah, 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 blah. And I got it. And then after I messaged, literally like two seconds later, she she commented, okay, we got the panel full. Thanks. You know, and it's just like, if I hadn't been on Facebook at that moment, seeing that thing, I wouldn't be working with this person. And it sucks. Like, it just it just like feeds my constant like it just feeds exactly what my fears are you know what I mean yeah. which is that yeah. someone's going to be someone's going to offer me this incredible opportunity and I'm going to miss it because I wasn't the person who replied but I guess so. the the anecdote to that like or the antidote to that would just be like that one opportunity is not the only opportunity that will ever present itself yeah no I totally 100% agree with that logically but like emotionally it's really hard to separate yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to like. I bet you're right. Like, I'm not saying you're not right. You're totally right. But it's just like logically, it you know, it makes sense. And then emotionally, it, and it gives me anxiety. I get you. Mm-hmm. 
Life oh, you is ready? A pain. Yeah, let's do it. I know. <laughs> let's do it. Let's move. We're gonna move on, you guys, to to this week in death. This week in death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that air um, horn is a real. That's a real cure for anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> It'll cure what ails you. It cures what ails you. I still think it should be a kazoo or like a slide whistle. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't have an app for that. I, I should get an app for that. You should get an app for that. All right, which one do you want to do first? Oh, let's talk about the serial killer guy. Yeah, okay, let's do that one. That one's so scary. It's very scary and very interesting. It is. Um, you want to do it? Yeah, well, sure. So this comes from NPR, uh, and the title of the article is "Serial Killer Who Was Dubbed Angel of Death Dies After Prison Beating." So. Before we jump into it and I explain what the article is about, uh, Jen, is it scary to you to think that this man existed and was the angel of death, or is it scarier to think about dying in a prison beating? Oh, uh, oh, no. Now I'm thinking of both. (laughs) 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 I think the first one, because I don't imagine myself ever going to prison. Okay, cool. So I think the most immediate to me would be the first one that this guy existed because I could imagine myself being in the hospital and um, you know from some from some injury and then mm-hmm. him deciding what he decides to do like eat your dinner yeah exactly yeah and you're like yeah. I don't want to and it's like okay well here's your pillow no yeah um let me explain what's going on to yeah, the yeah, yeah, people yeah, listening yeah, before yeah, yeah. we we jump into this yeah yeah um so this guy who was a former nurse's aide and he was convicted of killing more than three dozen people, but then later admitted to killing like close to 50 people. He died on Thursday uh, because he got attacked and beaten in his Ohio prison cell. Uh, so he was a 64 year old dude and um, or he was 64 maybe when he got uh, caught. But no, he was no, he was young. Cause look at that picture in 1987. The, oh yeah, he did look sixty four. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he no, was young. No. He was sixty four currently. Okay, well, yeah, and, and he was and forever. He, shall he be? Forever shall he be? Yeah, and he was serving consecutive life sentences, um, for the murders, basically. Yeah, and so he had just. They had said that um, his victims were killed by cyanide or arsenic in their food. Uh, he would sometimes not refill their oxygen tanks, or he would suffocate them with pillows. Yeah. And so he got caught when he poisoned a dude in um, who was ho- being hospitalized for a motorcycle accident. And then during the autopsy, the doctor was like, hey, this stomach smells like cyanide. <laughs> it sounds like such a, like a Sherlock Holmes moment. Cause, like, it totally who knows, does. Who knows what cyanide smells like? <laughs> That's right. what I want to know. Like, how does he know what cyanide smells like? And how did he know that? to like distinguish it from the other crazy smells that I'm sure are coming out of the stomach, you know, like how does it? Yeah. 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 So that was gross. Okay. So if you're an autopsy doctor, maybe that's just a class that you take, right? It's like body smells, like body smells. Maybe. I don't know. Or do, I mean, do they use, do, do like autopsy people use cyanide for some reason? Oh, that's a good, that's a good thought. One of the chemicals that they use. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, like but but it did, it, it did like it, a barber. yeah, but it did freak me out that um, for some reason he knew what cyanide smelled like, yeah. and again that he could decipher it from like the because I mean can you imagine what a stomach smells like? Imagine that for a second, a dead person's like, stomach, a dead on person's top yeah, a dead person's stomach, like opening up a stomach. Imagine what that smells like, right? 
And then being the one person who could be like, cyanide. <laughs> <laughs> like, who is this doctor? Who is this autopsy Well, I doctor? thought it was circus peanuts, but <laughs> yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> That's why you're an intern. Autopsy <laughs> intern. <laughs> but he... Uh, <laughs> it's, and it's such a weird sentence, too. The doctor smelled cyanide in the man's stomach cavity. <laughs> So what are they doing in Ohio? That, <laughs> they know this? Let me just get in there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? I want a second opinion. <laughs> it's crazy. But then, they, I mean, they go on to describe the guy a little bit, the actual killer guy, a, a lot more in the article. And, like, he, they, he gets described in this article as a cruel man without sympathy for his victims. He didn't care at all. Like, he actually he justified it. Yeah. At all. He justified yeah. it. He said he was really he said, cold-hearted. Yeah, I felt that what I was doing was right, he said. I was putting people out of their misery. I hope if I'm ever sick or full of tubes or on a respirator, someone will come and end it. But he Thanks. had no, like, like he didn't ask them, hey, you want me to end it? <laughs> yeah. He was just like, do, do, do. I don't yeah. want to fill up your oxygen. Bye. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and you know, and they, um, I mean, everyone else, like, around him was said, no, he did it because he liked killing. Like, he yeah, did it exactly. because he liked murder, and he this was, like, some weird justification that he was trying to use during the, like, during the trial. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, it's fucking terrifying. So, but who's this one, who's this Tom Handy guy, though? Because he's like, Tom, like, that came out of nowhere. He says, my reaction is he went by the same method by which he killed scores of other people while they were helplessly lying in bed. Tom Handy told the Blade. Um, I don't want to come off as cold-hearted, but at the same time, I think justice has been rendered. But he, they never mentioned, that was the one thing that I was really confused about, because they never mentioned who this guy Tom Handy was. Oh, I wish it had been Tom Hardy. <laughs> what does Tom Hardy think about this? Um, Actually, I just went to Google Tom Handy, and Tom Hardy came right up. I was like, did you mean Tom Hardy? And it's like, normally I do. Normally yeah. I do. So I don't know who this Tom Handy guy is, but um, but yeah. So, but he thinks. Yeah, I can tell you're looking up because I can hear your I can hear your microphone like. Burr, it's burr, my uh, burr, yeah, burr, yeah, my nerd noise. Nerd click, noise. Click, click. Um, well, there's a Tom Hardy handy. Sorry, who died in 2011? So that can't be him. No, so I don't know who this guy is. Oh, but he's a the former Commonwealth's attorney. Oh, okay. All right, there you go. So he's a turn. He's an attorney. Okay. So everyone pretty much wanted him dead. I don't, and I really wish that, like, we knew exactly what the circumstances were around this beating because, like, he they just said that he was beaten in his cell, yeah. you know? He was, in his cell. I know that part of it I thought I was know. weird. Like, so it's like, it was just, like, out and about with people. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, in the shower or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Which happens, like, the sh- shower beatings happen a lot because that's the one one major place where there's, like, nobody's in there. Like, there's not a guard the in there. of privacy, like, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's like this, yeah, so that happens a lot. It's weird that I know that much about prisons, though. <laughs> okay. You know one thing about prisons. <laughs> if there's one person between the you and I who knows a lot about prisons, <laughs> it's Jen. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, there you go. But I would like to know why they beat him, what happened. Because yeah. it wasn't, yeah. I, I, I have a very hard time believing that it's had anything to do with the murder that he, that he committed. Oh, yeah. Years ago. Oh, I'm sure not. I'm yeah. Sure not. So something must have happened. And, um, yeah. And now hmm. he's, now he's buried deep. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> well, all that, right. That, that should be our reaction to any, to all of our articles. Just, Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> Wowza. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> that was a weird one. Uh, okay, next oh, one. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. So desperate search for Colombian flood survivors. Uh, the death toll is now at 207. Yeah. And this comes to us from the yeah, USA I can, Today. I can really hear your microphone, like, beating. So can you, oh, really? Yeah. Can you try to... Well, I'm on a tiny TV tray, so I don't really have a lot of other space for things, but okay, I won't type right. anymore. Okay. Um, I'll just do the... I'll do the... the the thingies I'll yeah, the thing. yeah okay all right so um let me see uh desperate search for Colombian flood survivors death toll reaches 200 yeah so there was a there were a ton of floods over the weekend um in uh Makoa, right mm-hmm. so it was one day after surging rivers drove a wall of water and debris through the city killing at least 200 people um i think the latest toll was actually 264 but the um, the government sent out, you know, 1,300 soldiers to try to come in and do as much repairs as they could to try to, like, you know, get the city up and running like, and working. Um, they used helicopters, planes, boats, all-terrain vehicles. Um, and they really have, like, worked without stopping, like, all day or all last night and all day today so far um, to see if they could save as many people as they possibly could save. But what happened was, like, this, this like, wall of water just, like, flooded through the city and it buried, there was like this avalanche of like muddy debris. Mud. Yeah. yeah. And um, came, you know, uh, from the Mokoa River and I guess the tributaries and everything like that. But it was like all the way up to like the top of like roofs and like covering cars and trucks. Like if you saw that, there's like this picture, this like, um, let me see, there's like a huge avalanche that happened. There's these, these pictures that you can scroll through and it's just like terrifying. Like it came all the way up, like the side of the buildings are like totally covered in yeah. mud. I mean, trucks are, like, overturned. And just, like, and it came, I guess, out of nowhere. Like, nobody was prepared for it. Like, there was a lot of, there was a lot of rain, but they didn't, they didn't realize what was, you know, happening. And then this, you know, avalanche of mud just came, like, busting into town. Yeah, what's interesting about this article is it was five inches of rain that they got from this, um, rainstorm and yeah. while that doesn't sound like very much rain they also mentioned that that is half of the amount of rain they usually see in the entire month there yeah so right exactly so it, it all came down at once and um i mean we see this in albuquerque but at a lesser yeah. degree right but because mm-hmm. because you know albuquerque does, isn't doesn't have a whole lot of rain when it does have rain it's all these it becomes really muddy and it like because the, the the ground doesn't like soak it up as fast right because it's not used to it. it's like all hard rock and clay and so then it yeah. be, you know it come becomes mud really easily and it floods really easily um so yeah but this just you know and it, it wasn't really necessarily the flood that that created this it, like this much damage it was the huge avalanche of mud that yeah. um that like you know burst into into town that created all this damage so i just that's the most terrifying way to die i, I could imagine being buried in mud yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's a combination of drowning and being like rendered, like you yeah. can't move at your yourself at all. Yeah, like if you looked through, I mean, like, so this is on USA Today. There's like a whole photo set, and if you just like look at the damage that was done to this city by an avalanche of mud, like it's just terrifying. Everybody's just buried in this stuff. Ugh. It's just so yeah. sad. There's like. There's like there's video or not videos, but there's pictures of um, like uh, firemen like digging under the mud to try to get to people. But you can't even like how do you like how like you you're just like caked in it? Yeah, it's like you're just caked in this in this mud. Like you can't. It's not like it's not like you know um, 
like when you know like maybe a, a like building falls and you could like get the debris out and you're stuck under like things or whatever right and you could like navigate your way in but like once you're covered in mud like how do you even breathe like there aren't any like it doesn't create any like cavities where you could be stuck in does that make sense like it's not yeah. like that kind of thing like you have to you're just caked in this mud you're just drowning yeah. in mud it's crazy and they, they even said that like houses in 17 different neighborhoods were wiped out so it's not even like there's just this one like main street that got like super affected it's like yeah. it was like the whole really place. far-reaching yeah that aerial shot though that's the most terrifying one. Oh, yeah go to the aerial shot if you can you just see the whole city is like brown it's like just it's like the let me see it is the 17th picture no uh-huh. yeah 17th picture and you just see that whole city just caked in oh white. yeah yeah it's not scary look at all those buildings that were covered you can see because you can see like where the river flows and then you can see where it was all like caked in mud fuck that's so terrifying no thank this. you no thanks yikes yikes wow wow <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading this book as a kid, and, and I can never remember the name of the actual book. But I read it, and maybe maybe somebody who's listening can can think of the what this could possibly be. But I read this book about an avalanche, about it was like a snow avalanche, and mm-hmm. um, it was like the whole book was about this dude caught in like he goes he goes skiing, and does he spit or does he drool? Does he do the drool thing? I don't remember the drool thing. What's the drool thing? Uh, it's how you find out which direction you're facing. You just like drool a little oh, bit and wherever the... I don't remember that. No. But maybe. Hmm. Maybe he didn't. I don't remember. I just remember him like like peeing. I remember that. Like he had to mm-hmm. pee like in the ice and then he had to like drink his own pee or something. I don't remember. Oh, sure. Yeah. but So um... this was a chapter book. <laughs> yeah, it was a chapter book. Yes, it was a chapter book. <laughs> And, and I, I was like one of those things where it's like pro- this probably was a book that I shouldn't be reading, but I think I grabbed it from like my dad's like library, and I was like had to read a book at school, so they're like bring a book, and I brought that one and read it. <laughs> but because I did that a lot, like I was just like all these books suck, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read something that I probably shouldn't be reading, and I can't remember what it is, but it was like a, it was like a memoir for sure, and mm-hmm. it was a memoir, and it was about a man who was stuck in an, in an avalanche. And he just talks about his entire time. And it goes back and forth between, like, him stuck in the avalanche and then him thinking about, like, his family and, like, the stuff that he didn't, um, like, the the people that he wasn't so nice to and, like, the things that he left, you know, unsaid and, like, you know, all that stuff and his wife and his kids and him thinking about all that. It was really deep for, like, a 12-year-old. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I had no parental supervision when I was a child. But I, I did that with my mom's books, and I ended up reading Growing Up Brady, the <laughs> Greg Brady tell-all biography. And I read about a man stuck in an and avalanche I did, drinking piss. <laughs> I know, but I did a book report on mine. So did you really? I, yeah, I, I, I feel like I did a book report on mine, too. I feel like that was a purpose. Like, I had to do that, but I don't actually remember if I did or not. Sure. But it was a it was a memoir about a guy stuck in an avalanche, and it terrified me. And for, like, the longest time, I was afraid of avalanches. I have no idea what the fuck I was afraid of avalanche. Oh sure, but Especially I thought it was just gonna. I thought it was gonna happen to me. I thought any time I went to a like the mountain, I was gonna there was an avalanche that was gonna happen, and I was gonna be like I was gonna be stuck, and I ha- I would have to drink my own pee. Like it was oh. terrible. Oh boy, oh boy, I know, right? It was terrible. I was so afraid. Um, 
but I have not been able to to find this stupid book, and I've been wanting to like read it again to see if like there because there must have been like stuff that my 12 year old brain missed there had to have mm-hmm. been right mm-hmm. um because he ends up like he ends up living at the end but i think his i think he was with a friend and his uh, his like friend died but they were stuck in like different parts of the avalanche you know so they weren't together but he was he ended up living and then his friend ended up dying and it was like this memoir about this avalanche thing but i don't know so that has been stuck in my brain since i was 12. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, never I, thought, I never thought like an avalanche, like, uh, you know, as I got older and I was like logical about it, I was like, I'm not going to die in an avalanche if I'm just living <laughs> in the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Oh, fuck. No, <laughs> you could, though. <laughs> but a mud avalanche. <laughs> oh, yikes. Oh, yikes. <laughs> okay, so let's go on to the last article for today. All right. Hmm. It is an editorial yeah. from the Columbus Dispatch. And the title of it is Disappointment Drives Up Death Rate. I thought this was really interesting, personally. Yeah. But it was definitely... I don't know. This is a really hard one, politically. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. You can summarize it, and then... Sure. So this came out today. So we record this on Sunday. Whenever you hear this, it came out on Sunday. Um, so there was this case that was done by these two economists and they found out that between 1999 and 2014 middle-aged white Americans with a high school education or less died at a rate that was like blowing the other ones out of the water. And they described middle age as 45 to 54. And there was a couple of different reasons that they describe in the article about why this was happening. Um, but there's been like a spike in suicides there's been like a huge um, outbreak in opioid like um, addiction and overdoses, and then a lot of um, liver disease. And so, but they were all, all three of those different things all got like um, classified by these economists as deaths by despair. So it says that like all these white people are dying because they're so sad and they don't really have a lot of options right now. Right, that's exactly because of the what's... job market and everything. So. Yeah, that's what's happening, right? So, um, yeah, and it's it's an interesting study because they found this phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how they correlated it with. I mean, I understand how they correlated it with the um, like suicides, drug overdose, liver disease, because that's just like statistics. Like, how did yeah. you die? And then you figure out how people died, right? Mm-hmm, so I understand mm-hmm. that part. What I don't understand is this idea of deaths by despair right so there's oh, right. these yeah so there's these other scholars who are coming in and um so now the two scholars have returned sorry it's the same scholars scholars have returned to try to explain why this is happening right so in a report published by the brookings institution they suggest that while income inequality and wage stagnation might play a background role a lifetime of cumulative disadvantage catches up with this demographic okay mm-hmm. so there's some kind of disadvantage that they think is happening it's a cumulative disadvantage so um, they, um, they say, let's see, they slice the population. So, okay, so they say that this part of the population hit the job market as low-skilled jobs were being um, mechanized, computerized, mm. and globalized, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. they grew into adulthood as cohesion-building social institutions such as marriage, family, churches became weaker, and often they didn't have spouses, pastors, work buddies, or kids to back them up. So oh, what is sure. this idea of, lo- okay, so there's like two things going on. They say that the low-skilled jobs are um going away going away because they're they're either being like i don't i hate that they use um 
mechanized. I mechanized. Think, yeah. I, I use like automated, but anyway, yeah. so, so they're being automated, right there, or it's, it's um, a function like, or they're being computerized or they're being globalized, which basically is another term for outsourced. Yeah. So they're, they're either, they're just not in the country. Um, but then also it says this idea of cohesion building. So this like social institutions are weaker and I don't know what they mean by that. Cause that's the part that I don't understand. Like, I think you could say that yes, low skill jobs are gone. And a lot of that has to do with policies that were um, instituted by the, um, by the GOP. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so those low skill jobs are gone and yes, that's, that's very true. But how do you measure or mark how a social institution is weak? How is that possible? Well, I mean, I guess you would just have to look at like the the, the macro information. I mean, like, so I think about like, okay, so this is not at all going to answer your question, but this is just an illustration of some things and then we can talk about it too. All right. Okay. So imagine Homer Simpson, uh-huh. right? And his life. All right. So take away... Marge and the kids so it's this is a single Homer Simpson and there's been episodes too where like the one where he has a gun and they leave the house or whatever yeah um so no family for Homer he works at the power plant and he's got um Lenny and um the other guy what's his name I don't know there's two guys that are his co-workers no Barney's at the bar oh yeah co-workers oh sorry yeah Uh, yeah okay yeah so he's got those guys to talk to now he's the safety inspector but he never does anything so say that that role gets replaced by a thing so now he doesn't have these co-workers to even talk about and he doesn't have a job so then he go he's a member of his church in Springfield that's like a big deal but what I think is the way you could tell that that's been weaker, because I don't imagine that, like, people in this community are, like, not going to church anymore. Or maybe some of them aren't. But, like, I honestly think it's because the churches that they go to are these giant mega churches now. Yeah. And so, like, when you go, you're basically just going, like, you go to the movies. Yeah. Or you go to a concert and then you yeah. leave. And yeah. so it's not like when Homer goes to church and he's he's surrounded by his community. Yeah, it would be him and like the middle of a mall. So maybe, so maybe if they, so maybe that's what they're measuring. Then they're ma- measuring community in terms of how many people are you in constant contact per day, like yeah. in individual personal contact per day. I don't know, mm-hmm. like, like that. That's what I'm. That's what I'm asking because, like, how do you know an institution has failed? Is it because not as many people are getting married? Is it because, um, like you said, you know, church the the church systems have changed. They're not community, but they're they're like almost economic, like you know, mm-hmm. capitalist structures now. Like they're huge, and they're like you know, these like other kinds of things. Like what is it that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but for some reason they're saying because these because these income inequalities are happening for uh, middle aged blacks and Latinos as well. Oh yes, and Asians yeah, yeah, yeah. and all other kinds of people, right? So all of this, is, and they say that in the in the study, and they say that in this in this article. So like. This has affected, um, you know, poorly educated or lowerly educated or low economic, you know, um, middle aged blacks and Latinos. So same same age range, but for some reason, uh, white males are, you know, a white well white people, not just males. I always put it in like a male perspective for some reason, but white white. Um, well, it's my fault for saying Homer Simpson. That, yeah, it's okay. But white folks are dying at an increased rate because of drug addiction and these other kinds of things that they already talked about, whereas. Um, blacks and Latinos, their mortality rates are actually decreasing. Right? You know what I bet it is? What? I bet it's just, I bet it's completely privilege-based, too. I bet well, that, because this that's is the, the first time Look at that, that this sentence. is... Look at that yeah. sentence. The author speculate. Watch, go to, it's like the second to last mm-hmm. paragraph. 
that expectations may be higher among whites, leading yeah. to greater disappointment when things don't work out. It's the, that's why they that's why they said the despair, right? Yeah, the despair has a lot to do with income inequality, of course, mm-hmm. but income inequality uh, cuts across race, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's the idea of I was owed this. It's the expectation mm-hmm. of it, and the idea that you know things were going to happen for me in a certain way. Whereas blacks and Latinos never had that expectation. Does right. that make sense? Mm-hmm. So when these things didn't happen for blacks and Latinos, because they're not they're they don't have jobs at a higher, you know, had a higher rate than than whites. In fact, they have mm-hmm. a third. They're more unemployed than whites are. Right. Mm-hmm. They have more of like an employment. They have more like all these other disadvantages. But because they are um, because they didn't have this expectation that uh, white folks did have, then they have the white folks have this greater disappointment when things don't go that way. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's more of a despair in the white community than there is in blacks and in Latino community. Right. Which is just like blows my mind. Cause I never thought of privilege this way at all, but yeah. it's a really touchy subject to like navigate. Cause you're trying to say that you have a, you have these disadvantages because of the economic situation that has occurred within the last decade. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there are these disadvantages, but Overall, you're less disadvantaged than uh, minoritized groups. Okay. Yeah. However, you're dying at an increased rate because you think you should be more advantaged. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what's happening. Like that's 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 what's happening. That's ex- that's apparently what has happened. You know, in their study, and so it's really interesting. It's like, and this last paragraph I think is really enlightening too. Many of these folks put their faith in. Republican promises of help and the GOP owes them something. Addressing opioid, um, I never say that right, that word right. I never, opioid, yeah, I said it wrong earlier, but I guess. It's a place to start. So is keeping the social safety net intact. Um, GOP politicians, like this, yeah, the social safety net, right? Mm -hmm. Politicians can boost about bringing back jobs. They're not going to be the same jobs, though. That's the thing. It's like we're, you know, because of of the deregulation that happened in in the early 2000s, right? And mm-hmm. because, you know, it's what's cheaper, like because of NAFTA, because of other kinds of, you know, agreements that we had, because of all this other stuff, because it was cheaper for companies to send their um, their jobs overseas or to automate their jobs and not like so low skilled workers who don't have anything higher than a than a high school diploma are not going to get the same jobs. Like when Trump says we're going to bring coal back, it's just not going to happen. Like, no. no, there's so many things that they've done to automate the coal industry and to also work towards not relying not on coal. needing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like not having to, to do it, that those jobs aren't going to come back. Plus, would you really want a coal job? Like, do you really want to be a coal miner? Like, how do we, how do we work on not having to have those kinds of jobs that literally kill people? You know, yeah. like those yeah. jobs kill people. People get black lung from working in coal mines. Like, how do you, how do we, how do we find ways to get people jobs that are beyond like those kinds of that, and that don't necessarily require a college education because if you don't want to yeah. go to college, then that's fine. But we have to find a way to like support people. And I think yeah. in the process, that idea of a social safety net is vitally important. And what is going to be interesting is how they deal with this um, this outbreak because when crack, what how, how, you know, there was a huge crack outbreak in the eighties. They criminalized it. Yeah, and they oh, yeah. sent so many black and, la- and Latino men, especially to prison. Right. Yes. And so they have been in prison for like 30 to almost 40 years. So that's what happened when there was an epidemic in the black and Latino community. What's going to happen when there's an epidemic in the white community? Are they yeah. going to criminalize it? And all are all those 
those, you know, people in Virginia and in North Carolina and all of that, like in that country area um, where this is affecting most for some reason, like, are they all going to go to prison or are you going to do actual like substantial work in, you know, reversing this and not criminalize it, but rather creates, you know, social kinds of services and work to work people out of their addictions. Like that would yeah. be the way to do it. But I don't know if they're going to do that or not, or if they're just going to criminalize it. So I don't know. And everything's being defunded anyway. So I think everyone's just going to die. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think about that too. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Homer Simpson thing. Okay. <laughs> I think that this last uh, paragraph kind of uh, speaks to that too. So he's got no margin family, no job at the power plant, so no coworkers. His church is now all of a sudden this giant mega church. Okay. So then we talked about it earlier. His only friends then at that point are people like Barney and Mo at the bar. Yeah. And so then that would, you could see how like this urge, like this, this like yearning for some sense of community could lead itself toward worse and worse addictions. Yeah. Because at least you have a small group of people that you're connecting on something and it makes you feel better and it's like, you know what I mean? And then on top of all that, then it kind of explains a little bit why, especially in these like these kind of communities, going to a Trump rally, even though the election is over and they still have them for some reason, is giving them this sense of community that going to church would have done. Because they're smaller and they all have a central goal and they're all, yeah, yeah. They all, they're all, they all, for some reason, I mean, there's, there's little inklings of sharing a value system. And then by going and having those values repeated and repeated and repeated to you and being surrounded with those kind of people, you can get this feeling that there's a sense of community without it. But actually it's just feeding into the thing that's going to mess you up even worse. It's, God, it's, it's so sad right sad. now. Everything sucks. <laughs> You know that that this is like kind of a side note, but um, so last March, uh, March first, in fact, of two thousand sixteen, mm-hmm. um, at a Trump rally in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so there was the let me see, there was there was two three protesters, um, uh, Kashia, uh, Molly, and Henry, mm-hmm. um, whose names last names I can't pronounce, but they were at and but. Yes, they were at this Trump rally, and they were physically attacked by members of the audience, right? Mm -hmm. Two, they were able to identify Matthew Heimbach and Alvin Bomberger, okay? Mm -hmm. But they were physically attacked. Like, they were pushed downstairs. They were, like, hit, all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So they, um, they, uh... They sued Donald Trump for inciting violence. I mean, they sued the. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. They sued the people who actually attacked them, but they also sued um, Donald Trump for inciting violence, right? Because he kept he kept like pointing at them and saying, "Get them out! Get them out! Get them out!" And then these like men, these like grown men, were like hitting women and like you know like trying to get these or whatever, right? So and he wasn't stopping it, and nobody was stopping it. And so um, at first, he Trump tried to claim like free speech. Well, I can say whatever I want, blah blah blah, blah right? Yeah. The judge was not fucking having it though. No like, way. The judge was no like, way. nope. You saying get them out, get them out, um, led to them physically pushing a woman, you know, down the exit. In fact, one of them said this, like Bomberger, who later apologized to the Korean War Veterans Association, whose uniform he wore at the rally. So he was actually Jesus. wearing them, and then he then he apologized to them publicly because of this, right? He wrote that he physically pushed a young woman down this down the aisle toward the exit after Trump kept saying, get them out, get them out, according to the lawsuit. Like he said, Trump kept saying this thing. And so I pushed this woman like I know that's like that's like, you know, saying um, it's kind of passing the buck. It's kind of copying out. But like if that was going through his head. Yeah. yeah, Like but if that was going through his head and this is like, you know, then we have that. That's like legitimate information that we have to have. Right. 
So, um, yeah, but I mean, oh, and then Heimbach, for some reason, wanted to dismiss the lawsuit's discussion of his association with a white nationalist group because the uh-huh. people, who were, people who were attacked were minoritized groups, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so one of them especially was, was African-American. But anyway, so, um, but, you know, and, and but the, the judge, you know, said, nope, you can't do that. You are, uh, you were negligent and you incited violence, right? And in fact, he wrote, um, while the words themselves are repulsive, they are relevant to show the atmosphere in which the alleged events occurred. So they're allowing context, which is really important, right? Yeah. Um, In some, the court finds that plaintiffs have adequately alleged that their harm was foreseeable and that the Trump defendant had a duty to prevent it. Um, because they were trying to claim, well, well, if you were protesting at a rally, then you should be expected to have violence, right? <laughs> and they were like, nope, you could prevent this. We have a, we have the right to protest yeah. anywhere we want to, and you, as the person who was holding the rally, are responsible for making sure there, that your the people who were attending the rally were not violent. Which yeah. makes a whole lot of fucking sense, right? Because we yes. actually have a constitutional right to protest, but you do not mm-hmm. have the constitutional right to incite violence. That is not no. freedom of speech. If no. you are inciting violence, that's not, that's not protected by freedom of speech. So, yeah. So, anyway, sorry that was kind of a side note, but I was thinking about that because we were talking about rallies. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I understand this idea of despair, and I get it, and I understand that, you know. Um, that but that's what a- I'm trying to say is, like, all of these communities that get discussed in this article have, like, have uh, experienced despair, and the expectations for the, this white community are are higher right now for a billion reasons. But like, you know what I mean? But the fact is now everybody has despair. But then these other communities have already come up with like they have like like centuries of coping mechanisms in their own sense of community and this yes. kind of stuff where they like. No, I mean, still like in the system and stuff that things like tear them down and stuff like that, too. But this is just like we <laughs> These white people just need to <laughs> need to like I don't know figure out how to cope and that they like, need to, yeah they, yeah they I need mean, to just but you're right they're not I mean, special like, no but that but you're right though like you know there was a whole but I mean that's like it's such a symptom of this idea of privilege you know everyone has a certain amount of privilege right yeah I mean various degrees and I know that sounds like a really sweeping generalization but depending on you know, like where you're at and what kind of vulnerable group you have and like whatever, you know, like I would say that like all things being equal, like um, I, because I have a, a degree and I, because I have like a pretty stable job, I have, you know, more economic stability than, than a white man who um, only has a high school diploma living in an area where there are no jobs. Right. Yeah. I have more economic stability. So I have a certain amount of privilege over that person. Right. All things being equal, in my field, um, white males who are at the same level as I am in terms of degree and job and, you know, all that stuff, same security, all that stuff, they usually have more privilege than I have because they're, they have access to areas of academia that I don't have access to. They have, yeah. you know, they have a, there's like a certain amount of white privilege within academia. There's a certain amount of assumptions made about Latinas. There's all kinds of stuff, right? So all mm-hmm. things being equal, then no. Like I think so. I think you have to like there. Like privilege is a really complicated and and very like complex subject, right? Yes. And yes. so when you when you think about privilege, you can't just say like you have privilege and you don't have privilege. Well, there's yeah. like a, there's like it's really complicated. Um, but when you when you think about it in terms of like ex- expectations, I mm-hmm. never grew up with an expectation that I was going to have things automatically. Yeah. yeah. You know, I never had that. 
I never thought that like, I always thought things were going to be a struggle. Like I never, I never thought that I was definitely going to get a college education. I never thought that I was going to get a doctorate. I never thought that I would like, ha- you know, be a professor. I never thought I was, you know, I never thought any of that stuff. I, I always thought that like, if I was going to get anything, it was going to be really hard for me to do. And mm-hmm. that had to do with like, um, well, the fact that people put like the fact that I felt like roadblocks for sure. The pa- the fact that I knew that people thought about me in a certain way because of like my language background, because of the way I look, because of all that stuff, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I already assumed that, you know, and I didn't see anybody who looked like me in any kind of those jobs. So I just assumed for a long time that people like me didn't do those jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was yeah. a lot of, there was a lot of that going on. So I never, like, I never had this like assumption, right? But when you live in, in a community where your dad worked at a factory and their dad worked at a factory and their dad worked at the factory and their dad did this and their dad did that and everybody has worked at this, has done, you know, has been able to to graduate high school and then get a job and then have a family and have the American dream, like for, you know, decades Generations. upon decades. Yeah. 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 And then it comes to, comes your turn and you're not given that because of the decisions that the GOP has made. You know, then um, and also Democrats, I'm not going to let them off the loose, but um, but, you know, that the government has made, then that's not given to you. Then, yeah, you know, and that's a certain amount to have that in mind, that that's what is going to be given to you when you get older. That's a privilege. Does that make sense? That expectation is a privilege. And so when that expectation is not met, then, yeah, I could totally see that. Absolutely. I Um, think the common enemy here is capitalism. So, <laughs> Great. yes, it is. Yes, capitalism is the common enemy. Yeah, which makes me don't not understand how people could vote against their their well being. You know, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I, don't I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand that. Um, but it's I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how you could vote for somebody who is going to definitely make policies that are going to hurt you. Yeah. Yes, I mean it's 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 so clear. It, it's said explicitly. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs> I don't. Well, I, mean, okay. I have I have a feeling. I have a feeling that if they throw everybody who has, um, you know, opioid addiction into jail, if they do that, then it's going to. I mean, I don't want that to happen. So don't don't get don't get me wrong. But I think if that happens, um, there's going to be a very big backlash against the GOP. Oh yeah, huge backlash because people are going to see the, um, you know how that how unfair it is to criminalize drug addiction. Yeah, right. Because yeah. you should. I mean, it's not. It's not. Yes, it's a criminal act to sell drugs, but you, we have to understand where that addiction comes from and how, like you know, how, how you work away from that addiction and not criminalize it. Because when you put somebody in prison for 30 years, you know, this is just going to make the situation worse. Like it's not yeah. going to make it better. And, you know, a lot of the reasons why black men and Latinos in the eighties were thrown into prison was because of race, racist issues, of course. Yeah. So yeah. if they do the same thing to, you know, white men in Virginia and North Carolina and Kentucky and, you know, all those places that are affected by currently, I don't know. I feel like that's it. That's going to be the thing. Because there's already there's already people like, 
there's already people that are in the, that were super 100% for the GOP now just like I mean Trump has his lowest rating ever right it's like 35% yeah. approval rating or something like that yeah, it's not not yeah, good. It's not good. No. Good, but not good. People not are good. I mean, dying. Like a, yeah. People are dying. What do we do about it? Huh. People are dying. What do we do about it? Call in. <laughs> Give us Yeah, your speaking answers. of that. Uh <laughs> Give us your answers. How do we How do we get people to not die? Oh god, that's a I think that's the overall question that we're trying to ask through this podcast. Yeah, actually that is. And and when they do die, what do we do about it? What do we do? <laughs> smell, smell their stomachs? What do we do? How do I get to a point where I know what cyanide smells like? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. That's what I want to know. <laughs> what do you got going on this week, Jen? Uh, not much. What do you got going on? Oh, I've got a couple shows. One in Queens, one in uh, Manhattan. At, uh, and then I've got a show tonight at Stand Up New York. But hmm. this, this, it will have passed by the time anybody hears this so um wish wish me luck retroactively good luck thanks <laughs> um and then uh, i'm gonna be on a podcast this week but i haven't done the recording yet so i don't know if it's this oh, week nice. or next week yeah so sarah sarah mowry has a new podcast oh yeah i, I like it called, a lot um stupid arrow or yeah yeah stupid arrow yeah it's pretty funny but uh, but yeah, so I met so my the husband that passed away. I met him on Match dot com, and so mm-hmm. she wanted to like interview me about that. So I'm gonna talk about that a little bit. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you yeah, so if you want to you know contact us, you can at um, Dead Things Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Please review us on iTunes, please, because it always helps us. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, you could go on SoundCloud and you can leave us a message on there. Or you could call us at 802-438-8686. Hit him with that phone number one more time, Jen. 802-438-8686. Yeah, call and answer our questions, please. We have so many. Yeah. Question number one, how do we stop people from dying? <laughs> Question number two, how can we figure out what the smell of cyanide is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We had a third question. Third, third question. question. What was our third question? <laughs> you, only you can answer these only for us. Only you can answer these important questions for us. <laughs> All right. Sarah, say the thing. You guys, don't die. Keep listening. We love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, hey, hey. This has been a sex pot comedy joint. Collaborative, community-driven comedy produced by Andy Jewett and Kayvon Kalitbari. Headquartered in Denver, Colorado, with technical support from Isaac Miller. Every day at sexpotcomedy.com or at a show near you. Until next time, be well, friends.